I'm Casey Main, a jaded, hopelessly romantic, health-conscious party girl searching for meaning. And my mission is simple, to make life better for myself and for you. I believe real change always comes from within. And the Better You podcast was born to discover hidden parts of ourselves and our stories. A safe place where we have real, honest conversations with people from all walks of life to help better understand ourselves so we can become better versions of ourselves. So come along on this journey of discovery with me so you can become a better you. Welcome back to the Better You Podcast. I am your host, Casey Main. Thank you so much for being here. I know that there was no new episode last week, so I'm sure that you missed me very much, but I hope you took the time to catch up on all the great episodes we've had so far. Uh, today is episode 18, which is really pretty crazy to me. I've been doing this for, well, I guess if it's weekly, that's now 18 weeks, but I've missed a couple. We're probably at like 20 weeks. So that's a long time. We're still a new podcast, but I'm really enjoying it. I'm having a lot of fun with it. And actually to make up for the fact that there was no episode last week, I might do two this week. I might throw a bonus episode out there on probably on Thursday because I actually have an article that I wrote and I put on Medium that is just a real life personal example of a a situation I was in in a relationship last year that really, it just ties in with what today's guest and I talk about in terms of better understanding our actions and reactions and, and driving forces to things. So go ahead and subscribe or follow the podcast if you are not already so that you do not miss that bonus episode. But today we are back with a fantastic show. I absolutely loved this conversation. It is with Brian Falchuk. And I just resonate so much with Brian's work because it's very much about bettering ourselves, our lives, and our relationships. But always through the lens of focusing on what we can control, which is, of course, ourselves, our actions, our reactions, our interpretations. And he shares a life-altering concept that we actually have a lot more control than we realize. So I just, I love all his insight, and I I know that you will too. Not to mention, uh, Brian and I are very connected in that, well, he calls it motivation, I call it purpose, but they're very similar for both of us. And that essentially is to spark something in in other people. And if you've read my book, then you know that that's essentially what happened to me. It was kind of a, a random question that was posed to me that just blew up my whole world and really got me thinking and evaluating my life and my level of happiness. And then I subsequently made a lot of changes to get back on track with the life that I really wanted to be living. So I very much believe in the impact we can have on each other in just like the smallest the smallest sentence or thought can really spark in other people that curiosity to dig into their own lives and and figure out if they really are happy and if not what they want to change and and you'll hear that that's that's Brian's motivation and and intention as well. So, a little bit more about Brian. He is a best-selling author, speaker and coach. His first book, Do a Day, teaches the philosophy he developed to find your true motivation, set meaningful goals, and achieve them by freeing yourself of judgment of the past and fear of the future. His latest book, The 50-75-100 Solution, helps people see the power they have to make their relationships healthier and happier. Both his books come directly from his experience facing his own barriers so he could move his life forward. His work has been featured in many top publications like Inc. Magazine, Business Insider, the LA Times, Chicago Tribune, and more. He's a frequent speaker at corporate events, conferences, university, and has spoken at multiple TEDx events. He holds an MBA from the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College and has been a C-level executive and board advisor in the insurance and tech spaces. And I will have links to both of Brian's books as well as a book that he highly recommends during the episode in the show notes. So in this episode, we talk about why it sometimes takes rock bottom, or as Brian calls it, a reckoning, to get us to face our issues. The delicate balance between facing and processing our past and moving forward, and how we tend to get stuck somewhere in the middle. How recognizing our emotions, giving them space, validating them, and picking them apart is the key to moving forward. And similarly, how taking the time to analyze our decisions and our reactions can empower us to make real change in our life. 
the interplay of actions and reactions and how a concept in Brian's book, The 50-75-100 Solution, can help us better ourselves and all the relationships in our lives. How to identify our deeper driving forces so they can help us better understand our decisions. And the same goes for others, seeing that they too have deeper internal drivers and how that impacts their decisions and their actions. And finally, how to find long-lasting motivation and its relationship to self-love. But before we jump right into my conversation with Brian, I want to talk to you guys about something else that is very near and dear to my heart, and that's cookies. (laughs) If you've been following me for a bit, then you probably know that while I live a very healthy lifestyle overall, I have a pretty legit sweet tooth, but I'm a little bit of a snob about it. So I'm not really going to go for like the store-bought cheap candy or anything like that. Baked goods are really my jam. I like stuff that an actual human put together with their hands. And it just so happens that a human who used to be my boss like 10 years ago makes the best cookies. Seriously, her name is Lynn Clark and she is the founder, CEO, and chief baker for Tiny Town Cookies. They are delicious. And since it's the holidays, it's a great time to splurge a little and get some for yourself, your family, coworkers, clients, whoever. They are baked to order and they're made with fresh organic and high quality ingredients. So organic eggs and butter, unbleached flour, aluminum free baking powder. And the best part is they're tiny and she makes them in all kinds of adorable designs. She's got cookies for every occasion, but specifically for the holidays, she's got little reindeer, little Santas, little candy canes, little stockings. Like they're just, they're super cute. So go check them out at tinytowncookies.com. And if you place an order, tell her that the Better You podcast sent you and you'll receive a free stocking stuffer. But I will tell you, you've got to act fast because the deadline to order them and get them in time for Christmas is December 15th. Now, you can enjoy these cookies year round. Again, she's got all kinds of different themes. But if you want them for some kind of Christmas holiday party or just, you know, within your your holiday guilt-free treat indulging, then order them by December 15th. All right, so that's it. Let's go ahead and hop into the conversation with Brian. Give everyone a, a brief Cliff Notes version of uh, your life and like what you currently do and kind of how this all came to be for you. Cool. I'm a lots of things, a speaker, author, um, consultant on insure tech innovation, which is not what we're talking about today, but that's part of my life. Not so much. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I've been an executive in the insurance space for a while now. And, um, so I, that's, that's one of my passions. Um, but what really drives me is trying to help people change their lives. And so I get to do a lot of coaching work, a lot of speaking work, and and my writing, it's not for any of what I say to tell you what to do to make that change for you. It's about trying to spark something in you. It's like I don't write like workbooks that it's like, you know, answer these 20 questions and then add up all the third words and there you're done. Like that's your life purpose. It's about sparking something in you to start asking questions, to dig deeper, to push yourself to create a better life because it is such an individualistic thing and the process of working on it is actually where that better comes from. So that's my intention with all the work that I do is really just to spark that curiosity to dig into ourselves. So sort of like transformation, self-transformation. That's my, that's my drug of choice. And I, (laughs) I try to live that as much as I can. I, I love that because that, that's a big realization I came to. So my life pretty much changed, I guess, probably like two years ago now, yeah. um, which is when I, I wrote my book and gave up men for Lent and the whole thing. But if there's one thing that process taught me is that it can take like the smallest little thing. Like for me, it was a YouTube video asking me what my purpose is mm. that just, I don't know. It's, it did. It sparked this curiosity in me, which then, you know, sent me down this whole different line of thinking and questioning my life and, and figuring it out as I went. So I agree with you hundred percent that it's like, it, we all have that in us. It's not necessarily being told what to do. Yeah. It's finding that natural curiosity or spark within yourself. Yeah. 
And, you know, I mean, my my personal spark, um, unfortunately, came from getting kicked in the face, which I find a lot of us need um, or we seem to think we need. And um, I had this moment in 2011 where it looked like my wife was about to die um, and our son was, too. And so that um, that was a very, very much a forcing mechanism for me to step back and um, kind of face my demons that were making me. kind of not the husband she needed me to be in that moment and certainly not the father my son needed me to be, especially if I was going to be the only parent he had. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not that I was a, you know, bad person or doing terrible things. I just, I was so enveloped by my own anxiety and um, just, you know, things that had been with me since my childhood from my experiences that shaped me into who I was for better and worse. You know, I was really self-reliant. You, you know, if the sky was falling, I was the guy you wanted to call. But the flip side is I kind of always thought the sky was falling and I was constantly in reaction and kind of take control and fix everything mode, which, you know, if you're um, in this medical dilemma being told by doctors there's nothing else to do, you're bedridden, you're watching your child grow up in front of you and you can't participate like like my wife was going through, that's not really what you want. Like You might want that ultimately, but in the moment, you need someone to stand with you. And if you're a little boy who is used to you know mommy being there all the time and now she's not, um, it's really confusing. And one thing I understand and the, the root of my anxiety is this sense of everything not being okay. Mm -hmm. And little kids can't make it okay for themselves. So they need their family to do that for them. And my little boy was going through exactly what I did only 10 times worse. Like mine stemmed from my parents' divorce. He's watching his mother die in front of his eyes. And, um, it was in looking in that reality and how I was so busy doing things and not just, you know, coming down to his height and just saying like, Hey buddy, you know, like, do you want me to read to you? Or, you know, daddy, will you play with me? He's like, no, I have to go do this and do this and do this. It's like, that's not what he needs. Yeah. Um, and dinner can wait five minutes to just give him the space to feel like life is okay. Wow. Uh, you know, what's so interesting about that is like you mentioned, you kind of acted always like the sky was falling and then it's when the sky actually was falling yeah. that kind of woke you up out of that. Yeah. And that, so, so this is kind of what I've learned on this journey is a lot of us go through these moments and they're all different and you know, it's not my moments, not as bad as yours or, you know, there's no competition to it. It's some of us go through things that are a reckoning and they force us to wake up, but actually that's not enough because there are people who go through these reckonings and don't wake up literally or figuratively. So it is still a choice. And what I've tried to do in my work and and I've shared a lot about my journey in both of my books, two very separate issues, but um, also intertwined because they're all about life. I don't think you can pick apart the things that we go through. I, you know, we're complex interwoven people Mm -hmm. Um, in sharing my journey. Maybe that sparks a wake up moment for someone who doesn't have to face some catastrophe. Like I I do believe we actually can get there without being kicked in the face. It's hard because maybe you don't want to wake up or maybe there's a lot of scary things. Like I I coach people who've been through, you know, some pretty serious traumas, abuse, et cetera. And like, that's really difficult to face unless you're forced to. And a lot of us just go through life without ever facing it. And so we live these sort of incomplete, um, disjointed, disconnected lives instead of being present because presence can be scary if you haven't dealt with that stuff. So my work is, my intention is to spark that desire to work on yourself without having to face losing everything in the moment. So why do you think it is that we, is it like a subconscious avoidance of of facing the uncomfortable stuff on, you know, why we, why it takes something like a reckoning or hitting rock bottom to get us to face those issues? Like why, why are we reluctant to, why are we not more proactive about it? Yeah. So I think there's a few different root causes. They're not mutually exclusive and different ones may be at work for different people. So, uh, you know, I, I respect that my reasons may not be someone else's reasons and we probably don't understand most of what the reasons are, but I think there's, there's two sort of internal and external 
factors or there's there's you know both of those are at play for me it was um and this is really common is dealing with it means facing some really upsetting stuff and so that there's fear in that and there's feelings of being unsafe and losing control and so that is a natural blocker for almost everybody in the world whatever it is that you've got inside of you it's you know i'm well i'm still alive so i should just keep on trucking you know, like I'll, I'll just get through this, like power through it. And and that's the other piece is the external is telling us, you know, man up, buck mm-hmm. up, be tough or people need you. Yeah, There's no time. For, yeah. Move on. Like, why can't you just I hate that phrase. Anytime I hear the word just like immediately bells start going off for me, like warning. This is whatever <laughs> you're about to hear is BS. Um, you know, it, it's not it's not just move on. You know, I, I remember my mother was uh, her office building uh, had a, a pretty major fire in it. And she's the one who pulled the alarm. And she was like seriously frazzled for months on end. And I was still a kid. I was like 15. And she and I were butting heads a lot. You know, 15 year old teenage son. Like, what do you expect? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like I said to her, I was like, you live through it. Nothing happened. You're fine. Get over it. And uh, she was holding cookies in her hands and she literally tossed the cookies, which like couldn't have been any more perfect of an analogy. But like, you know, there you don't just get over it. And that's something I really didn't understand in the moment, didn't have compassion for her because I had to just get over everything I was worrying about and just get on with life. And like, look, that serves in the moment, but it only makes things worse in the long term. So I think like we do have societal pushes for it. Society is very much about. Um, and I'm not laying blame here, but we have a lot of stimulus to just detach and consume, you know, Netflix and chill, (laughs) just grab your device. Like who goes to the bathroom without their phone anymore? I mean, that's like, how much time are you losing? How much mindlessness are you losing or or are you engaging in throughout the day? So we were drawn out of doing that work and we're pushed to get over it. And internally we're afraid to face it. Or we're afraid if we stop to face it, that thing we're worried about happening will happen. And then what do we do? You know, if I if I give in to this thing I need to face, and this is very much what I was dealing with, um, you know, like if if I'm worrying about my needs, what about all the needs around me? The mortgage, my, you know, my wife's health, like all these other things. Uh, there's no room to stop. Like, who, who am I kidding? Like, I don't have that luxury. And we tell ourselves that story and it becomes this overwhelming mountain of like, if I deal with all this, everything else is going to crumble. You know, I, I was obese as a kid. I lost 100 pounds. And it's such a great analogy, whether you deal with weight loss needs or not. I don't I, I so many mornings I would wake up and be like, this is the day you get to do it. And I would feel like I have to lose 100 pounds today. And that's so overbearing and impossible. And the thing is, you don't lose 100 pounds in a day. Mm-hmm. unless you, you know, like have your legs cut off, you, you're not losing a hundred pounds today. So feeling that way about things, of course, you're not going to do it. Of course it's too much, but you're not doing that today. Today, all you have to do is something that moves you forward in your goal. You don't need to worry about everything else because it's not happening. And that, that's a bit of the mindset shift that I went through, uh, in the wake of, of this call with my wife's physician when he gave up and he's going on vacation. Like it was, a definitely um malpractice type moment um but uh it woke us all up and yeah i mean that that for me was just like look differently at everything that's staring you at the face and then you can start to achieve yeah i i love that it's just it can be it's such a delicate balance though because i know i lived a lot of my i'll say probably like the entire decade in my 20s with this mentality of quote unquote, just move on. And, but on the flip side, like I do think we need to face stuff and process it, but on the flip side, like you don't want to get like stuck or hung up in the past either. So like the example of um, your mother with the, with the fire, it's like, yes, nothing, nothing did happen. Like she didn't. So it's like, where is that balance? Well, so she, a, she wasn't dealing with it, so she was stuck, and B, she also wasn't just moving forward. So she was like, she was in between. She wasn't working on it and wasn't moving ahead. So it's kind of like the worst of both worlds. Um, she's okay now, but you know, very much like she went through something and and wasn't willing to face it, and so it it was just this roadblock for her. And so 
basically what what I came to realize is this phone call with this doctor was June 30th, 2011. It's a whole like time, place, the, the lighting, everything is so etched in my memory. I'll never forget it. What I've come to realize in that moment is why do we get stuck in, in the past and why do we get stuck in the face of the future? And this idea that neither of those things is happening anymore is where instead I've, I've focused my energy and it's, that's what's helped me move forward. So we tend to operate in one of two places or both at the same time. One is, and this is the stuck point you made, we have all of the pain, the loss, the judgment from the past, from our mistakes, from things that were done to us, from things we had and lost that we miss now. And we bring all of those those sad, negative, uh, fearful kind of feelings into the present, even though they're not happening, it's as if they're still happening and we get stuck in them. And if you don't deal with them, think about them, try to understand the why behind them, you know, maybe that person who did that to you, well, they've got their own issues. And so it's not to excuse what they did, but if you can bring some understanding and it wasn't really about you, it was about the pain in them. And they thought treating you that way would make them better, but it didn't. It at least lets you feel less like you were just intentionally targeted just for the sake of harming you. You know, yes, that happened. I'm not taking away from that at all, but that's not why they did it. They were extremely confused and hurting inside. You know, it's like the bully mentality, like bullies are hyper insecure. That's why they treat you that way, because they're trying to feel some power, some control, some sense of better. And they think putting you down will bring it to them. And it does momentarily. Just like for me, like food was an emotional outlet because I felt like everything was falling apart and food was very comforting. But it was comforting in the moment. And then as soon as I was done eating, I was hungry again, even though like I was stuffed. You know, it had nothing to do with the actual hunger. I was stuck in this emotional hole from the past because I was never dealing with it. And food is not, you know, food, bullying people, whatever your drug is. It's not actually a treatment for these things. So recognizing it, talking to someone, doing that work is how we move forward, not kind of self-medicating or just sitting here wallowing in it. I had like a little bit of an uh, aha moment while you were talking that it's in terms of being stuck in the past versus kind of also the thought process of, okay, well, um, you know, you're okay. Like the past isn't happening anymore. So that's usually the justification for just move on. Like it's over, right? Yeah. you're still carrying all the stuff from whatever happened, the pain, the hurt, the the whatever. If you still have that with you today, then it's like it is still happening. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's still it's overeating just your emotions like you don't just eat your emotions and bury them. You have to give them their space and validate them and recognize them and pick them apart. That's how we move forward. We don't just ignore and move on. So I always say it's not to say like if you like, let's say you're on a diet. And you have a quote unquote, you know, you step out like you it's like someone at work's birthday and you all go to the bar and you have a beer and three nachos and you're like, oh, my God, I ruined everything. It's not to say like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's a new day like that already happened. I'm done. But it's also not to sit here and be like, I've ruined everything. Now I might as well eat like six cheesecakes because it's it's over. It's to look at it and try to pick it apart and understand why. So why did you do that? Well, you know, I felt really isolated. This is a chance for social connection. And so I made that choice. And what is a beer and three nachos? Okay, it's this many calories and I've lost this many pounds. Is it really everything's ruined? You know, I like the example I use in my book is is actually from someone I was coaching that had a similar kind of story. It was like a birthday cake situation at work and they had two thin pieces of cake. I'm like, all right, let's do the math. You lost 20 pounds so far. And, you know, how much was that? And we Googled like the average piece of cake is, I don't know, like 350 calories or something. And they had a smaller piece, but like, let's call it 700 calories, 700 calories relative to 20 pounds is like less than 2%. So did you really just ruin everything? Well, no, but then I went home and had two large pizzas. Okay. Well, you still didn't ruin everything, but the mentality that you ruined everything without actually stopping and processing and learning from it is where you really started to slip. So instead of being like, I made a decision for my social, emotional, human connection well-being that was at odds with my weight loss goals, for example, but I understand why I did that. I'm putting it in perspective. I now understand, like, could I have gone to that party and not had the cake 
or had they not? Yeah, I could have. Like, I don't drink. I still go out to bars with people. You know, I work in insurance. Like, going for drinks is a regular thing. Like, I still do all that. I just won't play golf with them. I don't like golf, but that's a different story. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'll go to the 19th hole with them, and I just have water. And they don't care unless someone's insecure about not drinking, and then they start pointing out that, I, that I'm not drinking, but we get over it. And so it's like you can still have the social connection without the other things, but it takes – digging into it to understand that and to understand why you did it. And it's like, well, it had nothing to do with the food. The food was a temptation and I was weak about it in that moment. But what I was actually going for was connecting with people. You can still connect with the people. So it's, it's learning from, you don't just bottle it up because if you bottle it up, the next time that situation arises, the next time that person says that thing that set you off, it's still going to set you off because you've never understood why it did in the first place. Okay. I love that because we do tend to, kind of take things to the extreme. And I'm totally that person that if I'm trying to eat healthy and then let's say, like, let's say I'm trying to eat, well, and I am trying to eat healthy right now, especially, you know, in between the holidays and stuff. And then tomorrow I, um, I don't know, go out to breakfast with friends and order something unhealthy. I'm totally the type of person that's going to be like, oh, well, this day's shot. So I'm just really going to take it to the extreme. And then, you know, I'm eating pizzas and ice cream the rest of the day. So You're saying it's kind of that that awareness in the moment uh, or even a little bit after the moment of why you've made the choices you've made. Yes. And then this balance between kind of finding the lesson, like learning something about yourself, but then also giving yourself grace for doing whatever you did. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't we don't beat ourselves up. You know, I use this example in the book of um, I screwed up pretty badly at work. Um, it was fairly public with a, a major client. Um, it was a multi-million dollar mistake. Now we could fix it before they spent the money, but it was it was really embarrassing. And um, you know, we, we fixed it. I owned up. I took responsibility for it. I explained why. I apologized. Like all, everything. You know, I, I handled it really maturely. But man, was I unsettled by that. And I was so certain I was going to get fired. And so everyone who I interacted with in the company. I assumed they were out to get me. And so like people would say something innocuous and I'd think that there was like a double meaning in it or they're trying to call me out or like, you know, you're taking time off for the holiday. What do you mean? Like, I don't work enough. What are you, what are you trying to say? Like, I'm not, I mean, as stupid as that, but yes. And so fast forward like three months, I had another project. I was a consultant. So like everything was project based and another project kick butt on it went awesome. And then I get my review, like my full year review. And, um, it's hilarious. Like there's no mention of the mistake at all. They actually like they talked about that project I made the mistake in and great work that I did and I got great reviews for it. And then all they talk about from a negative standpoint is like, but for the past three months, you've been really difficult to work with and no one knows why. And I'm like, oh, my God, like there's not a single mention of this thing that I thought was catastrophic for my career. They're mentioning my reaction to it without even recognizing the connection. It's all on me. Like I am, the, the mistake wasn't the problem. The problem was how I handled it, how I brought that mistake forward into every single day in every single interaction without ever really picking it apart. I just let it rule my life for three months. And that was why my career, my job performance was being questioned. Isn't that ironic? Yes. Okay. So I know that that starts to touch a little bit on some of your principles in your book, the 50, 75, 100 solution. So let, let's talk about that book. Um, which I know you said it's it's based on several uh, principles that are rooted in in Buddhism, in Buddhism, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what are those? Yeah. So I'm not a Buddhist, and I don't play one on TV, but I've been just totally blown away as I've um, just tried to explore things in working in my own relationship. So, um, you know, my wife and I were struggling in our relationship. Like, fast forward from her health situation, which is still present, but it's not taking her life. That sort of set the norm for our interactions with each other. Like, we just kind of worked in the house together. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we had our roles defined by what happened in 2011. And our, our, like the loving part of our relationship turned more into like, we just have to do things to keep her stable and to, you know, provide and whatever. And, and, um, I started working out of state during the week. Like we just kept growing further apart without having those chances for reconnection. And so we would butt heads and we'd never really have time to work on it. And our styles in how we fight are very different. And so 
she needs more time. Whereas like, I want to solve things in the moment. If I try to do that with her, it'll make it worse. And so if we only have like two days together, basically every fight went unresolved. Mm -hmm. And so I turned to um, a therapist to talk to, to try to help. And, and to be fair, my intention was I just need coping skills to deal with the way my wife is treating me. Like I'm good. I'm not doing anything wrong. It's not me. It's her. And that's how a lot of us feel, right? It's like, why are they doing this to me? Why can't they just see me differently? Why can't, you know, all these why questions about how they're treating us. And a lot of just too, like, if they just love me more, if they just saw the good in me. And so that was my, you know, my intention with getting help. And um, luckily, the therapist saw through that nonsense and was like, yeah, we can help you with coping mechanisms. And by the way, you might want to think about this, too. And and the this was a book that she recommended to me called Open Heart, Clear Mind by a Buddhist monk named Tubtin Chodron. It is to this day the most beautiful thing I've ever read. Whenever people are like, you know, what what's your most recommended book thinking I'm going to like start promoting myself? It's always Open Heart, Clear Mind over my own books. Um, you can buy all three. We'll leave it at that. How's that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing that one down for sure. Totally. Um, it's incredible. And I start reading it and I'm you know, like, I'm just utterly blown away. It's not about the religion. Like Buddhism, yes, it's a religion, but it's not that's just a piece of it. It's also a mindset, a way of looking at the world, a philosophy, if you will. And it's as a religion, it's incredibly open to anyone studying it, whether you want to you know, believe that Buddha is, you know, your version of God or whatever is irrelevant. The teachings are about how we relate to each other. And ultimately, the purpose of Buddhism is to end suffering for others. Can you really argue with that? I don't care whose God is the right God or like, don't we all want less suffering, mm -hmm. the betterment of everybody? That's a beautiful concept. And so that, you know, that hooked me right off the bat. But there's, as I got into it, there's one particular concept that really just knocked me on my butt. And it's this idea of happiness seeking. And this was the thing that I was constantly missing when I felt people were mistreating me is they're not doing this just to mistreat you. Like they didn't get up that morning like, where's Brian? I, I want to hit him in the face. That's like that's my goal for today. But that's how I felt. And that's how a lot of us feel like figuratively. You know, I, I use this example of getting cut off in traffic is like we tend to react really strongly to that and feel like that person got on the highway to find your car and get in front of it. Like, I promise you, that is not what happened. They got on the highway to get where they're going, just like you. And for whatever reason, they made a decision that being one car further up was good for them and would get them to that definition of happiness that they seek. And it happened to be your car. So it's it's not actually that they're just maliciously out to get you. They wanted something and seemed to think you were in their way. And that applies really broadly. And a lot of times we don't necessarily understand what happiness we seek. And so we act in ways that we think will help us feel better, but actually don't. And it's right back to that bully situation is like treating you poorly makes them feel better in the moment, but actually doesn't do anything for how they feel about themselves overall. And that's why they keep doing it because they're never satisfying that underlying need to feel secure and safe and in control. So they lash out in ways that are harmful to others, thinking it'll help them, but it won't because they're not fully in touch with the true happiness they seek. And when I looked at that, I was like, my wife's not just getting up today to disrespect me, to not love me, to not appreciate the things I do for her and only point out the bad. She's getting up today being like, I don't feel well. I don't like that this is the way my days are and I want to feel heard and supported wow, my husband's over there doing these things. He's not even understanding that I'm scared. And when I try to talk to him about it, he seems annoyed like I'm getting in his way with him just trying to do things. Like, I just want him to hear me. I want him to connect with me. And when it, you think about something like that, like, God, I want to connect with her. I want her to feel that. I don't want her to feel like I don't care. Of course I care. So, you know, trying to connect with that sort of sentiment versus what I'm receiving that was a game changer for me. And it just opened my mind to like, maybe I'm thinking about relationships wrong. I'm always thinking it's 50-50. It's like, we're, we're just adversaries, like actually, or kind of figuratively, like there's my half and there's your half and I can't do anything to change you. That's why I just need coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And that feels really disempowering. Um, it, it, it 
hits at our our need for control and not having any. And I think that amplifies our reactivity and our misunderstanding of what might be going on in them because we're out of control of this problem that we're facing with this other person. And that like all this came together for me and kind of blew my mind. And that's where this whole idea was born. And But um, it was a really beautiful moment at one of the worst times in my life. Yeah. And I, just, I think sometimes those, I don't know, those internal factors that are actually driving us can be so like deep rooted that on the surface level, like, all right, so let's say, um, you know, my boyfriend does something that, that pisses me off and I'm, I'm offended because I agree with you. We, we take everything very personally. Like someone cuts us off in traffic and it's, oh, they think they're more important than I am. Like, no, they just <laughs> they needed to get somewhere fast. It had nothing to do with us. So we, yeah. we do take things very personally, but you know, if he does something and I, I feel disrespected or whatever, I feel like in this day and age, a normal retaliation was like, maybe I'm going to give him the silent treatment or not do um, nice things I would normally do. And on the surface level, I, I'm kind of aware of my intention is to give him a hard time today as like retaliation for how I felt. But yeah. you're saying like my actual intention is, is much deeper than that. And, and it's almost like on a more vulnerable level of, you know, that I was hurt or I didn't feel yeah. hurt or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. And, and look, you behaving that way, then you got to think about what he's going to do. So is he going to see that actually you're hurting or is he going to be like, she's being so mean. And so he's going to be mean back to you, which is going to make you be even worse. And then he's going to be like, it's a vicious cycle. And so what, what I started to realize is relationships aren't 50, 50. That's the wrong way to think about them. Actually, there's four quarters to them. Each of us is 50%, but we're split in half again. So there's, I've got two 25% quarters and you've got two 25% quarters. And what's going on in me is I'm half my actions, what I'm actively independently choosing to put out into the world. You know, like it got up today, I put on these clothes, et cetera. Nothing to do with what I'm receiving from the world, maybe the weather report, but that's about it. Mm -hmm. The other half of me is how I'm reacting to what's around me. And, and in a relationship, it's how I'm reacting to you, to the stimulus that you're giving me. So, you know, you guys each playing off each other, kind of one-upping who's worse to the other one, right, when you get into these cycles. The thing is, those that action-reaction split is exactly what's going on in you, only your reactions are based in what I'm doing. It was in that understanding that I suddenly, and this, this came from Buddhism as well, the idea of interdependence, that we're all, none of us exists in and of ourselves independently. We're all about how we are in relation to each other. So different situations, different people, you get different versions of each other. That's why, like, you know, you might like someone that someone else is like, oh, I don't care for them. Mm -hmm. You know, like whether it's a, a musician, you just don't like their music or their behavior. Like we, or, or the same person, like you mentioned, you know, being in a fight with your boyfriend one minute and of course, you know, another day, like in love with each other and, and everything's great. Same person, totally different interaction. So when we have different versions of ourselves to interact with, we elicit a different response from the other person. And so what I realized is, look, I own my half. I'm not going to argue with that. My reactions, a lot of us have trouble with thinking we fully control that because they did this to us. We have to respond that way. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? I'm, I'm, how do I choose not to be offended by their words? Well, you hear their words. You may not like their words. How you process them is up to you, whether it's hard or not. And I'm the first to admit, like, it's really hard. You know, growing up fat, people were mean to me about that. And everyone's like, just ignore them. I'm like, what do you mean ignore them? I heard what they said. How do you ignore that? It's that ignore them's a misunderstanding. It's not about like pretend you didn't hear it. It's about whether you let that define you or not. Mm -hmm. So you can choose how you respond. If someone, you know, lashes out at you, you don't have to lash out back at them. So my response with my wife was like when I thought she was misunderstanding my intention and getting mad at me like to to mansplain to her. Right. What, like, well, I'll own it. It's fine. This is exactly what I was doing. It's like, no, you don't understand. That's not what I was doing. I was doing this and you don't appreciate it. I made your dinner tonight. You don't even say thank you. And now you're telling me like, I didn't do this right. And you don't even see all that. Like, okay, that's really going to help. She's going to be like, oh my God, you're right. I'm so sorry. Yes, yeah, sweetie. I love you. No, like you're yelling at me back. I'm going to yell at you louder. So 
I was giving her the wrong version of me to interact with. And that's the 25% of the whole that sits in her that's a reaction to me. So what if I gave her a different version of me? Then half of her is getting a different stimulus to process and respond to. And so maybe she's going to put out a different version of herself in response to that. And then I don't have to as consciously and, and with as much effort work on responding differently because I'm getting a different version of her now. And mm -hmm. so we go from a vicious cycle to a virtuous one where better starts driving better. So it's not 50-50. Actually, you own your 50%, but you're not powerless in the other 50%. You have influence over half of it, which means you have power and influence over three quarters of the relationship dynamic. When I saw that, I suddenly felt empowered to make things better. And, and then it's like, I have the means within me to start to turn this around. It's worth it. So let me start giving her a different version of me to interact with, and I'll start to drive a better relationship. And it's not just in romantic relationships. I know we're focusing on that, but this applies to you know that other driver. It applies to dealing with your boss or your subordinates or your peers or your siblings or parents or whatever. It's any relationship you can give the person a different version of you to react to and drive a better outcome. So I, I absolutely love that. And I agree with you 100%. And I've, I've had this conversation with people about, you know, well, you can like choose your reaction. Like you can choose to not get upset in traffic because you're not offended or, or disrespected or in relationships or at work. And I think sometimes that's really hard for people to really grasp or, or yeah. buy into that concept. Because, well, it's hard to do it. Yeah, because we we've kind of grown up in yeah. this in this world of like, especially maybe if you're a female, like you've got to stand up for yourself. For sure. so, yeah. Like how does that, you know, these concept of like drawing your boundaries and standing up for yourself. Um, I don't know. I, I think that it's hard to find that middle ground of, yeah. of how, how do you let things go in a healthy way, not yeah. be like steamrolled over. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to offer two things in response to that. Cause I think those are really important points that, that have gotten a lot of respect of late for good reason, mm -hmm. especially like, you know, in an age where diversity and inclusion is finally getting more attention in the workplace, whether it's lip service or not, like it is being talked about. And a good chunk of that is respecting that your view deserves respect. Like diversity of thought is the most powerful form of diversity we have. And if it's not included, then it's worthless. So you do need to draw those boundaries and, and everything. And it, this isn't about abdicating any of that, actually. What it's about instead and the mechanism for doing it, like, remember, I don't like the word just. So this isn't like, oh, just be different to them and like <laughs> just pretend like you weren't just hurt and it's all good. No, it's not that at all. It's to look at what's like you, you need to pause and be mindful. And this goes right back to our earlier, uh, the earlier point in the conversation about mindfulness and not just kind of, I just said just, uh, <laughs> not, not merely. I'll edit it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not merely, um, you know, like letting life hit you and, and just kind of rolling with the flow. You do have to be present and give yourself the pause. And the pause comes from this moment of recognizing this wasn't here to hurt me. There's something else going on and I need to get into that. And if you can bring yourself to a place where mentally and, and presently you can see that, you're able to dig into like what might be going on here for that man for me. So if you think that your intention, your happiness is to stand your ground, I think you're mistaken. If your your you know, your desire in your career is to stand your ground, what does that mean? Is that a career outcome? No, if it's to have your views respected and accepted, to move forward, to have an impact. That's why you're standing your ground. I was on a, a group call last night with people in a weight loss support group. And, you know, they were talking about their partners supposedly being accountability partners. You know, their, their spouses or significant others were going to be there in the eating better journey with them. And as soon as that first meal comes around, they're like, I'm not eating kale and quinoa. I'm going to have my steak and potatoes and butter and cheese and, you know, and they're like, I need them to support me more. And so this is all falling apart. I said, well, why are they your accountability partner? Is it so you can tick a box that says I have an accountability partner? Or is it so you can improve your wellness? Now, everyone's like, well, I'm doing this to lose weight and get on top of my wellness. You're standing your ground, not simply to stand your ground. You're standing your ground and, and drawing those lines because you deserve to have a voice in 
the running of the business, the, you know, your career path, whatever. So if you recognize that your happiness is not merely for your ground to be stood, your happiness is for your views, your thoughts to matter and to influence the path. And if you recognize that, then you see that it doesn't matter if you stand your ground or not. That's just a tool in your toolbox to make this happen. So what are other ways you can have your views accepted? It may not be just to butt heads with the person. So that's that's one side of it. The other is, why are they pushing back on you? Is it just to push back on you? Probably not. It's that they have a view or they have something that's important to them and they feel like that's being threatened right now. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing at this, but that could be one of the things that's going on for them. But explore that. So instead of just saying like, nope, the answer's three. I don't care that you think it's four. It's three. And we're not going to settle on three and a half because it's three. Well, like three may be wrong. Four may be wrong. Three and a half may be wrong. But until you start getting into the underlying reasons why you each think that, you'll never get to a better answer. And if your goal is to stand your ground, what kind of outcome is that? Businesses don't run on ground stood. They run on better decisions. And same thing with relationships. So stop stop thinking that the tools that you're using are your happiness. Those are ways of delivering it. And you, you let go of needing to just, you know, butt heads with the person and try instead to appeal to what it is you're trying to achieve. And if okay. you make room for that, they'll feel heard. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Cause then it's, it's kind of this combination of being kind of the, you know, mindfulness and stop and, and analyze and be aware of your deeper driving forces. Like what's really going on with you? Like you're, you're 50%. Um, And then also recognizing the other person has deeper rooted issues, driving forces involved with their 50 percent. It's not necessarily what you're maybe reacting to on the surface. And so it's like once you recognize the deeper things at play on both ends, then that's where we can make better decisions for how we're going to control our 50 percent. Yep, exactly. Okay. I love that. Okay. So switching gears a little bit, because I, I heard this concept in, in one of your TED Talks, I think that had to do with your book, Do A Day. And you you talked about motivation and kind of needing like a deeper rooted motivation. And I took away from it like intrinsic versus extrinsic. Like we're making changes for other people mm-hmm. or we're making changes for ourselves, And because I think this ties back to like, you know, how we're going to view and analyze ourselves and then how we're going to decide how we play our 50% and whatnot. So talk a little bit about um, kind of the different levels of, of motivation. Yeah. So I think that we use the word motivation um, a little too loosely. And so when I'm talking about it, it's not like what you want right here, right now, like losing weight for beach season or getting a promotion or, you know, like having that person say yes when you ask them that, like whatever, those are short-term goals and there's nothing wrong with those, but that's not why you do what you do in life. And so for me, motivation is like, you know, the Simon Sinek uh, TED talk where he's talking about like, find your why. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about. So it's this deep rooted um, values level kind of thing. It's, you know, when people are like, dig deep, it's the thing you're digging for. I want to be fluid on the language because different things mean different things to different people. Um, I, I, you know, talked about all this and uh, Jocko Willink, um, he kind of like started arguing with me about like, no motivations, like just willpower and you just grit it out. And I'm like, we're talking about different things using the same words. Mm-hmm. I don't like willpower doesn't work long term. It's great in the right here right now. I can tell you that firsthand, like willpower does not lose 100 pounds. Willpower might lose a pound today, but it ain't losing 100 pounds. So it's why are you doing this in the first place? What is it that matters to you? This is like I've got a bunch of questions I pose in the book, but the, the kind of boil it down question is, what will you always care about no matter what else is going on? And whatever you answer, um, no offense, but it's probably wrong. And I don't mean it's like <laughs> totally off base. It's just too surface level. You got to dig deeper. And so um, usually it's like, give yourself your answer. Awesome. Respect it. Let's come back to it tomorrow and ask yourself why you answered that, because there's probably something deeper. And you start going on this journey of understanding what really 
matters to you. And like when I talked at the beginning about my purpose is, you know, sparking other people to change their lives, I didn't come up with that day one. You know, it was like or initially like, you know, I had this weight loss journey and I want to help people have the same kind of thing and be empowered to be fit. And that was great. And I, you know, I'm really excited about the changes I help people make in their lives in that respect. But I kept running into this thing, like you listen to their stories when they're kind of painting the whole picture of their life. And it's like their living situation is not great. Their work's not great. Their relationships aren't great. It's like, but we're going to go to the gym and we're going to eat better. And like, they're super positive and empowered and energized by that. But they still had other pockets of their life that weren't functioning right. So I, I felt a success and a happiness around what was but an emptiness around what wasn't. And so I realized like something is not resonating for me in this purpose. I have to dig deeper. And that's, that's kind of the point is like, there's nothing wrong with the first answer. It's just not enough. And so you do need to dig deeper. And it's like, I mean, like it's, it's something that could probably bring you to tears if you really connected to it. And, you know, you, you mentioned my Ted talks, the first TEDx I did, I'm telling the story of you know my wife and my son in this moment where I get off the phone with a doctor who's like, yeah, there's nothing else we can do. I, on stage, six years into telling this story and after publishing a book on it, and at that point I'd done like 40 podcasts and radio interviews on it. So I've told the story a gajillion times. I almost started crying on stage. And yeah, being on stage, like, you know, that heightens the emotions and everything. And I get lights staring at me and there's like 200 people out in the audience. Like, there's reasons why maybe I was more emotional about it. But the point is like that connection to what really matters to me moves me so deeply, even years and years on and talking about it, you know, over and over again, it still moves me with the same power. That's how I know I'm operating at a level of like, if I'm feeling like I've lost my way, if I'm having trouble seeing my way through something that's challenging or maybe doesn't speak to my immediate short-term desires, if I connect back to that purpose, it recenters me in an instant as like, well, why am I doing what I'm doing right now? How does that speak to what I care about most? If this is frustrating me, should I stop doing it or should I continue on because it's for this purpose that I ultimately do care about. And maybe that helps me see this task that I don't like in a different light. You always tell people like, it comes time to pay your bills or pay your taxes. Like no one likes doing that. But do you like having a roof over your head? Do you like your children being clothed and fed or your spouse or your, you know, oh yeah. I mean, when I think about it that way, maybe I can view it differently because I care so much about the things that it's facilitating. It, it helps me to stop hating it whether that's paying bills or eating better or you know getting through a really tough time at work or going through the task of looking for a new job which can be really demoralizing and tough and grueling and you know it's a lot of no's for that yes to dig into the part of you that sees it all being worth it that's what we're talking about when i talk about your why your purpose your motivation i'm not talking about like dude you can do it just like just power through it. Just get through today. You'll be fine. You hear how many times I said just in that? Yeah. <laughs> that's not that's not what this is about. Do you think that the majority of people's um, why or, or purpose or whatever you want to call it ties ties back to helping each other? I think for a lot of people, what um, and. Honestly, this is something I struggled with. The first time I published Do A Day, I revised it after a year. Um, I did talk about my purpose being like my son and feelings about my son and love for him and wanting to be you know, the kind of parent that he needed and, and all that. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. Um, the thing is, I talk about your purpose needing to be deep within you. And I excused something external to me being my purpose as like as his father, I feel him inside, you know, like I, I feel my son in my core. Mm -hmm. He's so integral to me. And it was a podcast host who called me out. He's like, I get that. I'm a dad, too. At the same time, he's still not inside of you. What happens if your son's not in the picture anymore? Like, so then you stop being and like, it's not a thought I want to have, but let's just say that like he didn't exist, then what is it for me? And so he got me to think a level deeper 
And so I changed the book after a year and realized like I'm missing something. What I was missing was self-love. Mm-hmm. And this is so crucial. And I think this is really, really lacking in society ac- across everyone. Um, it's not egotism. It's recognizing that like we, we latch onto something external for our purpose. I want, I want other people to be better. I want to, you know, I love them. I care about them. They deserve better. Well, why, why is that? Why do you want them to be better? You got to dig it. Well, it gives you a feeling. Don't you deserve that? Why does that feeling matter to you? What is your place in the world that you're trying to feel yourself in that helping other people helps you feel like I didn't feel good enough about myself to think I deserved that feeling. I didn't feel that I was deserving of it or capable of achieving it. And so I rested it in him because then I didn't have to face that last level of peeling the onion. And I think that's what a lot of us need. So like I had to write an essay on whether altruism was egotistical or not. And it was such an uncomfortable, painful thing to write because as I went through it, I start to realize even altruism, like being purely focused on helping others, is actually self-centered. And I don't mean that negatively, but it's yeah. because like you want to help them. Well, why are you dismissing your desire? Why doesn't that get to matter? It doesn't it doesn't cheapen what you've done for them. You know, you think about the people who hid Jews in World War II to save them from the Nazis, like it's not because they were like egotistical jerks. What they did was beautiful. It's no disrespect to that. And it made them feel like they were helping the world, like ending suffering for others is the purpose of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful thing, but you're allowed to appreciate and desire creating that for others, but it's about how it's feeling in you. And that's a really important distinction that I don't think we tend to give ourselves credit for. And we're sort of shunned from doing. You're you're absolutely right, and I I love that you brought that up. So um, I you've studied Buddhism, obviously. Have you ever studied any of I'm not probably going to pronounce this wrong, uh, Kabbalah or Kabbalah? Um, not not nearly the same way. Okay, it's like the old Jewish mysticism yeah. or something. I I I was interested in it and dug a little bit into it, but it talks about this same concept of kind of this journey of figuring everything out, and you reach this point of like where you where you understand this relationship between helping others and loving yourself and that helping others actually is the true happiness of self-love but you've yeah. got to like you said you've got to come to this point of realizing of achieving self-love and that you're worthy of happiness and fulfillment and then you'll start to realize that you feel that most yeah when helping others yeah and you know i think one of the nice things about recognizing the self piece of that is this is a phrase that's been going around you know quite a bit lately around like you can't help others if you don't help yourself you know put your your oxygen mask on first before mm-hmm. you help the person next to you if you if your whole purpose is helping others. You will never put yourself first and you will work yourself to the bone to the point that you stop being. You can't help anyone if that happens. And if you don't have self-love, that's ultimately where you're going to end up. And to be fair, that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I was sacrificing my own needs to such an extent that it made me not only um, really unenjoyable to be around, speak on my wife's behalf, um, <laughs> But I'm sure I did a worse job helping them because I couldn't see through my own misery because it got to that point. And I was still like, it doesn't matter how bad I feel. I still have to do this. It's like, yeah, but you're doing a bad job of it. You're upsetting them while helping them. Like, what good is that? But you don't even see it. So we do need to value ourselves enough to make space for that that self-care, even if it's only micro self-care. You know, if it's five minutes before everyone else wakes up, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to meditate just to recenter myself. Awesome. Do that. Find other moments where you can steal time for your own needs. Because if you don't do that, then you you fall apart and you're not going to be there for anyone the way you intend to be. So if you don't have that self-love, then I think actually your altruistic intention ends up failing in the long run. Right. I, I agree because, you know, ultimately, if we if we're trying to give our give ourselves to other people, the people that we love and care about, you know, children, the needy, the poor, whatever, however form it may take, we can't give our best version of ourselves to others if we aren't 
that best version of ourselves, which requires some kind of self-work. And it kind of goes back to your, you know, our 50%, like we've got to take care of our 50% in order to be able to bring it to the world in like the best form possible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Really well said. Yeah. I love that. Um, Okay. So we're coming up on an hour. So I want to make sure you have time to tell everybody where they can find you, um, websites, socials, your TEDx talks, the books, everything. And you have a podcast too. I do. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you can spell my name, it's, uh, <laughs> easiest way. <laughs> yeah. So you can find me at brianfalchuk.com or at brianfalchuk on all social media. So it's B-R-Y-A-N, like Brian Adams, for those of us from the seventies and eighties, um, B-R-Y-A-N-F-A-L-C-H-U-K.com or, or at Brian Falchuk. And I'm kind of hyperactive on social media, but I'll assure you it's all like automation tools. I'm not actually spending all my time tweeting and stuff. <laughs> You're not people like, <laughs> yeah, totally. People are like, how did you, how do you do that? Like, I just was on the phone with you and you sent out three different posts. I'm like, yeah, that's, I loaded them up. Um, I didn't do that, but, uh, I did write them at least, but yeah, so I'm out, I'm out on social media and you can get to my books. Um, there do a day and the 50, 75, 100 solution do a day is your relationship with yourself and 50, 75, 100 is once you work on you, you can relate to everybody else better. And that's, you know, the stuff we've been talking about today. They're on my site, but they're also everywhere you buy books, you know, Amazon, Audible, Nook, Kindle, I, like anywhere you get books, they're both available. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm all over the place and I would love to hear from people and know if this stuff's resonating, like going back to my goals, it's just about helping people spark that introspection and better in themselves. So, you know, hit me up and let me know if that's working for you. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. um, I loved this conversation. You you totally get it. And so it's always fun to start playing off each other and just build on the ideas. Oh my God. Yes. I could talk about this stuff for like hours upon hours. (laughs) That's it for this week's show. Thank you again so much for listening. You can find links to anything and everything from the show in the show notes. And after this, I'm actually going to play a little outtake from the recording of the intro this week, just because I thought it was really funny, obviously, as you'll hear me laugh about it. And I just figured we would end on a laugh this week. So thank you again for listening and have a wonderful week. So you can find links to Brian's books as well as a book that he highly recommends during the episode in the show nuts. <laughs>